Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself... What is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Welcome back, everyone, to 1001 Radio Crime Solvers. This is your host, John Hagedorn. Today, two episodes from yours truly, Johnny Dollar, with Edmund O'Brien. Enjoy. WBBM-FM, Chicago. The refreshing, delicious treat that gives you chewing enjoyment presents for your listening enjoyment, Edmund O'Brien as... Johnny Dollar. This is Hamill. Did you call me? If your guy Hamill, the local coroner, I did. That's who I am. What do you want? I wondered when I could get together with you and talk over the Breer death. Breer? Which one was that? Neil Breer. He died last week. Oh, why? What do you want to talk about him for? Funeral's all over. His folks have all gone home. I'm an investigator from his insurance company. They aren't convinced that he died a natural death. Huh? What do they think they know about it? They received a letter from someone here in town who said they weren't quite sure. I'm sorry I can't tell you that right now, but I'd like to go over the case with you. Case is closed as far as I'm concerned. I'm busy with other work. All right, Mr. Howell. I'll have to start from someplace else. The makers of Wrigley's Spearmint Chewing Gum bring you Edmund O'Brien in a transcribed adventure of the man with the action-packed expense account. America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Refreshment while you work for enjoyment anytime. Chew a stick of Wrigley's Spearmint Gum. The delicious, long-lasting, real mint flavor of Wrigley's Spearmint cools your mouth and freshens your taste. The good, smooth chewing helps keep you feeling fresh and alert. Adds enjoyment to whatever you're doing. So, indoors, outdoors, at work or at play, enjoy chewing Wrigley's Spearmint Gum. Wrigley's Spearmint. Refreshing. Delicious. Expense account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar to Home Office, Great Eastern Insurance Company, Hartford, Connecticut. The following is an accounting of expenditures during my investigation of the Neil Breer matter. Expense account item one, $235, airfare and incidentals between Hartford and my destination. In compliance with the company's request, I will not make that city and its state a matter of this record. And I will leave it up to the company to strike the true names of the people involved. My first personal contact was the man whose letter had set off the investigation, Dr. Henry Richards. We met in his office secretly that evening after his nurse had gone home. I'm sorry to admit, Mr. Dollar, that there have been moments when I regretted writing that letter. I have a wife and a son and a practice to think about. This is a small town, and I could be banished for stirring up a lot of unnecessary trouble. Both the company and I understand, Dr. Richards, and we want you to know that your letter and everything you tell me will be kept in strict confidence if Neil Breer's death was due to natural causes. If it wasn't, of course, the letter and my report will do you no harm. Yes, I see. You have nothing to worry about. I'll be the villain. As a matter of fact, I think I am one already. I talked to your coroner. Hamill? You told him why you were here? Yes. The only way for me to handle this is to stay out in the open with him and everyone else. If I make a fool of myself, I'll take a late train out of town. You told him you received a letter? Yes, but not from whom? You're sure he doesn't suspect me? He didn't sound like he did. There's no reason for him to, is there? You issued the death certificate, didn't you? 
Yes, yes, I did. Tell me about Breer. How old was he? He was 26. He was taken seriously ill at work. Where did he work? He was part owner of a service station. I was called there that morning. He was in a coma when I arrived. But Bircher described his convulsions to me. Bircher was his business partner? Yes, Wesley Bircher. He described the convulsions quite clearly. It sounded as though they were the result of a violent heart attack. I want you to understand, Mr. Dollar, a heart condition could have caused the symptoms he described and his condition when I got there. I called for an ambulance, but he was dead before it arrived. Do you know his medical history, Dr. Richards? Yes, yes, I do. He's been coming to me for a number of years. I was the attendant physician at the high school during his junior and senior years. He was a classmate of my son, Alan, and he and a number of the others continued to come to me, Bircher for one. Did Breer have trouble with his heart? Yes, there had been a condition, but it wasn't serious at his age. I told him that he'd have to be careful when he reached a certain age, but I was stunned at his death. I hesitated as long as I could before I signed the death certificate, but as I told you, if I'd refused to sign it, I don't think it's fair to ask a private physician to take that responsibility. I don't either, but it seems to be the way we run things. What else might have caused his death, Doctor? Obviously a poison. Yes. Bismine. That's a metallic poison, isn't it? Yes. How fast does it work? 20 to 40 grains would be a fatal dose in from 10 to 30 minutes. And the symptoms could have been those described by this virtue? Yes, convulsion, coma, and death. Uh-huh. Breer is buried here in town? Yes. What are you going to do? You want to arrange for an autopsy. I don't know how you'll do that. Well, I'm going to ask you to play one more part in this, and then I won't involve you anymore. You haven't told anyone about the letter you wrote us? No, no, not even my family. All right. I'll come tomorrow morning when your nurse will be a witness. I'll demand that you show me Breer's medical history, and I'll go to the coroner and ask for an autopsy. I know I started it, but I don't like it now. Believe me, Doctor, you have nothing to worry about. And you wouldn't have started it if you didn't want to see the right thing done, true? Yes, yes. I'll see you in the morning. I made my appearance at the doctor's office the next morning, was unpleasantly efficient with his nurse, went through Breer's medical history, and proceeded to the coroner's office. The fact that he held that public office had nothing to do with Mr. Guy Hamill's personality. He was close to 50, and it had taken years to develop it. If he'd been a banker or anything else, I'm sure he would have been the same. I caught him as he came out of his office. I told you yesterday I was busy with other business. I know, but I hoped you might spare just a minute or two. Why didn't you call for an appointment? That's what I was doing yesterday when you told me you were too busy. Well, I am. Why don't you come back tomorrow sometime? It would be faster to go to the state police, Mr. Hamill. Well, why don't you do that, then? I want to play fair with you. I don't want to go over your head unless I have to. I'll keep you from your lunch only a minute or two. Well, all right. Come on. You've got a lot of nerve, you know, saying these things to me. Maybe you're right. But I'm being paid to say that and a lot more. Right now, I'm going to ask you to have Breer's body exhumed, have an autopsy performed. So, you're an investigator from an insurance company in Hartford. Well, I think it's time you brushed up on municipal law. As the coroner, I'm required by law to hold an inquest and order autopsy when there is reasonable grounds to suspect that the disease suffered a violent or unnatural death or died suddenly from some unknown cause. Yeah, that's a perfect quote. Neil Breer died as a result of a heart attack, and a competent doctor issued a signed death certificate to that effect. Do you have reasonable grounds? Yes, the letter I told you about. Reasonable. In effect, it said that Breer was young and healthy, and that there was a reasonable question about his dying of heart attack. Did this person presume to know as much about Breer as his doctor? As much, maybe. How familiar are you with poisons? Have you been trained to diagnose their symptoms and so on? No, I haven't. I rely on the attendant doctors to inform me. I'm not blaming you for that, but has it ever occurred to you that every practicing physician is not an expert toxicologist? The study of poisons is almost a science in itself. It's not my job to check up on the doctors that sign death certificates. And uh, what's this about poison? There is a poison that, while it's killing, gives the same symptoms as a heart attack. I'm adding that to the letter the insurance company received. To me, that adds up to reasonable grounds for suspicion. You know... I think your heart is in the right place. I don't go for this poppycock, but I can see how you'd get upset. It's not me. It's the insurance company that doesn't like even the possibility that murder or suicide can be committed and charged off to death by natural causes simply because a doctor signs a death certificate. Now, do I get my autopsy? The case is closed, no matter what you say or think. It's the law. Do you think Bria survivors will feel the same way as father and widow? I don't know. You can go ahead. 
his survivors demand an autopsy, and I don't think they're fools enough to, then I'll accept that as reasonable suspicion, and I'll order an autopsy. That's good enough. And if you talk them into it, you're going to be held responsible as far as I'm concerned. Now, I'd like to eat my lunch, if you don't mind. I spent the rest of the day in the Hall of Records and poring over old newspapers and the high school yearbook of Neil Breer's graduation. By that evening, I had a fair picture of the boy's background. He'd been a hard-working student, a good athlete. He'd eloped with a classmate, Paula Wilson, less than a month after they'd left school, and since then he had lived a completely average small-town life. There would be no reason for suspicion except for the doctor's letter and his statement to me. So I kept that foremost in my mind, and after a 6.30 dinner, went to pay a call on Breer's widow, an attractive girl who turned an ashen gray when I told her why I'd come. Why? Why would anyone say such a thing? I don't know, Mrs. Breer, unless they had reason to believe it. Believe what? I don't understand. Why should anyone think Neil died from poison? I went to see Dr. Richards this morning. I demanded that he show me your husband's medical record. There was a heart condition, but it shouldn't have been fatal. Not at his age. Nobody told me. <laughs> Please leave me alone. I can't, Mrs. Breer. Not after coming this far and learning what I've learned. I can't stop until an autopsy is performed and I've learned the truth, whichever way it goes. No. It would be much easier for all of us, I think, if you'd help me. No, I won't. I can't stand it. You can't ask me to go through it all again. I'd hoped you'd want to know the truth yourself. I know the truth. Neil is dead. And there's nothing I can do about it. Nothing. Now leave me alone. Please go away. Leave me alone. Neil Greer's father ran a small grocery store with living quarters above. At first meeting, I hoped for more cooperation from him. He evidently had a calmer acceptance of death. You should have come to me first. I could have told you about Paula. Grief ain't honest after a person's dead. When a person's alive and suffering, then it's honest. But after a person's dead, you ain't really feeling grief for them. You're feeling it for yourself. I suppose you've got a point, Mr. Breer. I made up my mind to that after Neil's mother died. Some people think it's cruel, I suppose. But at a time like that, the big problem ain't dying, it's living on. Mr. Breer, after what I've told you, will you request an autopsy? No, no, I won't. Well, don't you want to be sure why your son died? I'm satisfied. He had heart trouble, we all knew it. I described a possible poison to you. There'd be no way for Neil to get it. Oh, I know about insurance, too. I don't like what's behind what you're saying, and I'm not going to take no part in bringing up things that are finished. What do you think is behind what I'm saying? I know about Neil's new insurance policy, and I know about suicide clauses. You think my son took his own life, and I tell you, he didn't. You're wrong, Mr. Breer. It would be stupid to infer anything like that, not knowing the cause of death. And that's all I want to know. What made your son die? I told you I'm satisfied how he died. He's beyond this world now, and I won't have him brought back. Good evening, sir. Hello. Key to room 312, please. Yes, sir. Oh, uh, Mr. Dollar, you've had a couple of calls. The last one just a minute ago. Oh, thanks. No name left? Uh, no, sir. Well, who took the calls, please? I did. We don't have a regular phone operator. Oh, uh, this uh, gentleman, what did he say? Why, he asked for you. Uh, no, the first time he asked if you were registered here and had me ring your room. Then he called back a minute ago. He seemed awfully upset. Did you ask his name? Yes, but he said, never mind, I'll call back. Could you tell anything about the voice, like whether it was an old man or a young man? Uh, well, I I'd say it was young. Yes, young and almost hysterical. Yeah. Here's my card and ID. Yes, sir. When this man calls again, I want you to listen to the conversation. I'll get into trouble. No, you won't. Maybe over a legal matter, I'd like to have a witness. I can't pay for your help because paid witness is no good. Will you help me? If you're sure it's all right. It is. That's a promise. Thanks. I'll go right up to my room. More music in just a moment. But now I'd like to say this to the young women between the ages 18 to 34. If you've been wondering how you can help out in America's fight for freedom and liberty, 
investigate the many important jobs now open in the Women's Army Corps. It is again an important part of our team for defense. Get complete information at your local Army recruiting station. And now back to the music. Here's a request from a certain party over on Oak Street who signed her note, Restless. She wants to dedicate this... Johnny Dollar. You don't know who this is, Mr. Dollar, but you've got to listen to me. You've got to stop what you're doing and leave town. Why? Because there's no reason for you to be here. You're hurting people. You're trying to cause a lot of trouble that there's no reason for. You've got to stop. Who are you? It doesn't make any difference. You've got to stop, that's all. There's no reason for you to be here. The fact that you call like this and won't give me your name makes me wonder if there isn't more reason than I thought. You've got to stop. I don't want you to hurt these people. I'm warning you. Warning me? Yes, I'm warning you. If you don't stop... You're going to be hurt. Hello? Hello? Broke the connection, sir. That was the same man? Oh, yes, sir, it was. And you heard him warn me? I heard him all right. Good. Now, will you get me the home phone number of coroner Guy Hamill? For refreshment while you work, for enjoyment anytime, chew a stick of Wrigley's Spearmint Gum. When your mouth feels dry, when you're warm or tired, Wrigley's Spearmint is really refreshing. The lively, full-bodied, real mint flavor cools your mouth, moistens your throat, freshens your taste. And the chewing itself gives you a little lift, helps you feel your best and do your best. So for chewing enjoyment plus pleasant refreshment, chew delicious Wrigley's Spearmint Gum. And now with our star, Edmund O'Brien, we bring you the second act of Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar. Yes? Dollar, Mr. Hamill. Oh, yes. Come on in. Well, I suppose you feel perky this morning. Better than I felt yesterday afternoon, I can tell you that. And I suppose you've got it right. The toxicologist's on his way from the state capitol. The body will be ready for him and his helpers when they get here. I uh, hope you understand that I couldn't do anything but what I did. Sure, sure I do. All I have to go by is the death certificate. But something like that phone call to you comes up, and then I can move. I suppose you never thought of it, but your position and... That of a big share of the coroners in the country is pretty much the same as the position of the insurance companies. Hmm? Well, all they've got to go on is the certificate, too. Doctor signs one, the company meets the claim. Nobody will ever know how many poisonings have been chalked off to natural causes. Not because the doctor isn't sincere as a rule, but because he hasn't had the training to rate the responsibility of making the decision. Hmm. Well, it's 9.30. Those men from the Capitol should be here in an hour or less. I guess I'd better see that things are ready for them. You want to be on hand? No, thanks, Garner. I'll leave my name and number with the clerk if you'll have them phone me when they're through, huh? I boned up on it enough to know that a metallic poison such as bismine would leave traces in spite of embalming, where other types would be impossible to detect. I also knew approximately the tests and analyses they would have to make, and I didn't think it would take experts very long. It didn't. At 2 o'clock that afternoon, the results were phoned me. Hello, Dr. Richard speaking. This is Johnny Dollar, Doctor. Oh, oh, yes. What is it? Well, you should feel proud of yourself, sir. Neil Breer's death was caused by bismine. What's that? An analysis was made? I didn't know anything about it. It was kept undercover. A man from the state capitol came over. They just finished. Well... My instinct to write the letter was sound. Certainly was, and I hope you get the credit you deserve. Oh, no, no. But at least you and I can meet in public. How about dinner tonight? I'd like to, but I can't promise. Actually, this case has just started for me. Oh, of course, I should have thought of that. And I'm right back to you for help again. Yes, certainly. About the availability of bismine. Where could Bria have gotten a hold of some? Uh, very small amounts of it are used in the treatment of certain blood disorders. It's not a common drug by any means. I really don't know where a layman would get it. Okay. Uh, well, all right. Thanks, Doctor. Of course. Good luck. And call me if there's anything I can do. The inquest was not to be held until the following morning, but I asked for and got permission to start my investigation before the formal pronouncement of the jury. We all knew what it would be, death self-inflicted or by the hand of person or persons unknown. 
to drive. Yes, yes, Mrs. Kelly. Sam's late to work today, but when he gets here, I'll send it right over. Yes, thank you. Hello, Mr. Brea. Well, Mr. Dollar, you did it, didn't you? Uh, I'm sorry, but at this point, I'm hardly the one to blame, am I? I blame you for tearing up our lives again. It was better before, no matter what. Sometimes ignorance is more merciful than knowing things. I'm afraid I can't agree with that. Well, don't make no difference. We know, and we'll have to take the things that come with it. You mentioned suicide yesterday, Mr. Breer. Did you have any reason other than being angry with insurance companies and me? Not no definite one. Nothing he told me. What reason, then? Neil and me weren't very close. Hadn't been for quite a time. I didn't like his marrying that girl the way he did, and he knew it. What do you mean, the way he did? Running off. Her barely the age of consent, and him not much older. I told them they was ashamed to tell their parents because they knew it wasn't decent. Haven't they been happy? I'm not sure either way. Neil didn't come home much, and he wouldn't tell me anyhow. But his business partner, young Wes Bircher, come to talk to me. Asked me what was ailing Neil. Said something was. He was down in the mouth all the time. And on the strength of that, you mentioned suicide to me, huh? Well, when I learned you was an insurance man after something, and then you talked about poison... That's when I figured you thought it was suicide on account of that new policy he took out. Uh, that isn't very much, is it? All right, Mr. Breer, I'll go down and talk to Wes Burchard. Uh, what Mr. Breer's talking about? Oh, sure. I went out to see him. I dropped by the store and buy a pack of cigarettes once in a while. When did this happen about Neil, anyway? This thing about poison? Just today, they exhumed his body and made some tests. Good. I, I just can't believe it. And his dad talking about suicide. Nothing seems to make sense to me. And you don't think he was depressed about his marriage? Well, not depressed exactly. What then? What I said to his dad was that Neil didn't seem to be interested in anything anymore. We used to go hunting and fishing. He loved it past year, maybe less, well, he just lost interest. But I never said had anything to do with his marriage to Paula. That's what Mr. Breer told me. Well, he's wrong. I never talked to him about her, about their marriage, because I knew that he was just against it. What do you think was wrong with Neil? Well, I, I don't know now. After he died, I figured it was because he'd been sick. I felt terrible about how hard he worked around here, and except that he never said anything about it, I was half-blaming myself. Now, with this stuff about poison, I just don't know what to say. Well, you realize how serious this is now. If it wasn't suicide, Wes, it was murder. Yeah, that's right, isn't it? Everything you told me, I, I just never thought about that. Was there something wrong with Neil's marriage? Well... I know it's tough, because to tell me you have to talk about friends that you've known for a long time, but the truth has to come out. I'm not the only one that'll question you, Wes. Well, I, I, I don't mind talking. I don't think anything I say will mean anything... Everybody will tell you the same thing. There wasn't one person in our graduating class that thought Paul and Neil should have gotten married. Why? Well, because it was all so one-sided. Neil had chased her all through school, and Paula just sort of laughed at him. After they were married, they used to come over and spend the evening with my wife and me, and, well, even then you got the idea that it wasn't quite right. The only time Paula ever got interested was when we got talking about well, when we were in school. Why did they get married, Wes? Well, Paula, and everybody knows this, Paula's strong-willed. And the guy that she really liked in school had to go to medical college. She didn't want him to go away, and well, when he told her he had to go, she just got sore. She threw herself at Neil, and they ran away and got married. And you think he knew that? Maybe not when he should have, but he must have found out. He never said anything. Like I said, he didn't seem depressed. More like he was always trying to you know, get her to love him. Gosh, I don't know. Maybe he did do something. Maybe he finally gave up and... Who is this other guy? Is he still here in town? Yeah. Yeah, he's here for the summer. He's Al Richards. Alan Richards? Yeah. Doc Richards' son. They went together all through school, but she just told him that she wouldn't wait for him if he had to go away. She sounds spoiled, huh? Suppose you tell me what happened here the day Neil died. <laughs> According to Bircher, nothing unusual had happened that day. They'd opened their place at 7.30. They hadn't worked unusually hard. They'd taken a break at about 9. And Neil Breer had been taken ill about 25 minutes later. 
And as I'd heard, he was dead not long after that. These people didn't fit into a picture of murder. None of the innocent ones had suspected it for a minute. But it was murder. I didn't have any proof of it when I left the service station. But I thought I had answers to a lot of questions. The solution was pathetically simple. Hello, Mrs. Breer. Afraid I'll have to bother you again. What do you want? Haven't you caused enough trouble? The trouble started before I came here. I come in. All right. They called me about the inquest. I told you yesterday that it would be easier if you'd help me get one. You didn't, so it had to be done without you. Now that I've learned your husband was murdered, there goes... Neil wasn't murdered. How do you know that? I I know that no one would murder him. There'd be no reason to. How do you think he died? I don't know. If this story about poison is true, he must have taken it himself. Why do you think he would have done that? I don't know. I've talked to people. I know more about you and Neil than you think I do. All right. I didn't love him. He knew it. I could never love him. That's why he committed suicide? I don't know. You asked me why he would. We weren't happy. Why didn't you get a divorce? I wanted... I don't know. We, we didn't want to. There are only certain grounds in this state. You aren't cut out for this part, Mrs. Breer. What part? The quick answers. You're scared stiff. I am not. Why should I be? Didn't you start to say that you wanted a divorce and then you thought better of that? No, I didn't. What you meant is that he wouldn't give you a divorce no matter what you did, isn't no. it? No. No, that isn't what I meant. What then? What I said. What about Alan Richards? What about him? Neil wouldn't divorce you and you just had to get away from him. Isn't that right? I, I don't know what you're saying. Neil's heart. He said he... Why don't you tell me? You married him on impulse. You knew you shouldn't have. You talked to Alan. Yes, I have. What did he say? He called me last night to warn me to leave town. No, no, you talked to him today. He told you. You tell me your part of it. It's all lost, isn't it? You know, don't you? Yeah, I think I do. We couldn't help it. Al came home for Christmas vacation and it started all over again. I love him. I love him so. Sit down, Mrs. Breer. We couldn't help it. I wanted to get a divorce. Neil wouldn't. It was his fault, too. This was near Christmas? He told me he knew why I married him and he'd never let me go. He told me I deserved it for doing what I did to him. I begged him. Did he know why you wanted to leave him? No, nobody knew. Everybody forgot about Alan and me. We were careful. But we knew we had to do something. Alan was studying to be a doctor like his father, wasn't he? Yes. It was my fault. I should have waited for him. He decided on the poison. (laughs) Oh, yes, it was all going to work. Neil's heart. No one would ever ask a question. But it was my fault. It was my fault. The rest of it I gave to the police. The fact that the uncommon poison was available to a medical student was administered by way of a vacuum bottle of coffee. After that, I left town. Expense account item two, miscellaneous, $86.70. Item three, same as item one, transportation back to Hartford. Expense account total, $556.70. Remarks? I hope the company will understand my not going back to Dr. Richards. A doctor in doubt about a death certificate calling on the interested insurance company for confidential help is a splendid idea. But in this case... The doctor's son was an accomplice to murder. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Remember, friends, for refreshment while you work, for enjoyment anytime, chew a stick of Wrigley's Spearmint Gum. There's lots of lively real mint flavor in it to cool your mouth, freshen your taste, and sweeten your breath. And chewing Wrigley's Spearmint helps keep you fresh and alert. You feel better, work better, get more fun out of doing things. So, indoors, outdoors, at work or at play, always keep delicious Wrigley's Spearmint chewing gum handy. For refreshment while you work, for enjoyment anytime, chew a stick of Wrigley's Spearmint gum.
Yours truly, Johnny Dollar, brought to you by Wrigley's Spearmint Gum, stars Edmund O'Brien in the title role and is written by Gil Dowd with music by Eddie Dunstetter. Edmund O'Brien can soon be seen starring in the Paramount Pictures production, Warpath. Featured in tonight's cast were Ralph Moody, Edgar Barrier, Joe Duvall, Gene Bates, Mary Ship, Tony Barrett, and Peter Leeds. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar, is transcribed in Hollywood by Jaime Del Valle. of Wrigley's Spearmint Chewing Gum hope you've enjoyed tonight's story of Johnny Dollar and that you're enjoying delicious Wrigley's Spearmint Gum every day. We invite you to join us next week at the same time when from Hollywood, Edmund O'Brien returns in another adventure of yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Bob Stevenson speaking. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Wrigley's Spearmint Chewing Gum, the refreshing, delicious treat that gives you chewing enjoyment, presents for your listening enjoyment, Edmund O'Brien as... Johnny Dollar. Hello, this is Bruce Hugh, the lock artist. Yes, Mr. Hugh, thanks for calling back. I want to let you know I was in town. I'd like to get together with you if you have time to see me. Why, yes, I just got out of court, and I have a meeting in a few minutes. It shouldn't take long. Could you meet me at 5.30 for a drink? Sure, any place you say. All right, there's a place called Todd's, right around the corner from my offices on Spring. I can find it. This is quite a mix-up, Mr. Yule, the uh, Lockhart's being killed like that? Yes, it is. Are you any closer to learning which one died first? Uh, we are not. It was a matter of only a minute or so. Yeah, it's only a $200,000 question who lived those couple of minutes. The makers of Wrigley's Spearmint Chewing Gum bring you Edmund O'Brien in a transcribed adventure of the man with the action-packed expense account. America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. For refreshment while you work, for enjoyment anytime, chew a stick of Wrigley's Spearmint Gum. The delicious, long-lasting, real mint flavor of Wrigley's Spearmint cools your mouth and freshens your taste. The good, smooth chewing helps keep you feeling fresh and alert. Adds enjoyment to whatever you're doing. So indoors, outdoors, at work or play, enjoy chewing Wrigley's Spearmint Gum. Wrigley's Spearmint. Refreshing. Delicious. Expense account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar to Home Office, Washingtonian Life Insurance Company, Hartford, Connecticut. The following is an accounting of expenditures during my investigation of the Horace Lockhart matter. Expense account item one, $8.90, fare and incidentals between Santa Barbara and Los Angeles. Your Los Angeles agent found that I was on a case in Montecito and saved you some $200 in fare from the East Coast to Los Angeles by bringing me down from Santa Barbara. At 5.30 that same afternoon, I met Mr. Bruce Yule, attorney for the Lockhart Estate. You lead off, Mr. Dollar. I'll answer any question I can. So far, I know the bare facts. I tried to get some information from the police, but everybody told me to call some other office. You must have called the local authorities? Yeah, shouldn't I have? Mr. and Mrs. Lockhart were killed in county territory. 
So it's under the jurisdiction of the sheriff. I was way off then. I was almost up to the highway commissioner when I quit. Well, we have a fairly complicated system here. The Lockharts were killed on the coast highway north of Malibu. They were returning from a visit to Santa Barbara when their car was either forced off the road or went out of control. Crashed through a guard fence and over a bank. What time of night was it? It was about two in the morning. Now, the actual report was phoned in by the operator of an all-night garage on the highway. But the man was notified by a young woman. She said she had seen the accident happen, had stopped, and gone down to look at the car. But that's where our information stopped. Yeah. Am I right that she did tell somebody that one of the Lockhart's was still alive then, but that she didn't say which one? Well, that's correct. That's what she told the garage operator. Uh, his name is Gallagher. Yeah. And the whole thing hangs on this girl. What's been done to locate her? Well, we put ads in the classified sections of all the papers. It happened only night before last. I'm certain she'll call in before long. I hope so. How often do you look at the classified section, Mr. Yule? Well, certainly we can hope that she has friends she's talked to about the accident. And even if she doesn't see it, why, somebody will and tell her about it. The man in the garage, you said his name is Gallagher? Yes, Patrick. Thanks very much, Mr. Yule. I think I'll rent a car and go out and see him. Yeah, that's right. My name is Dollar. I'm an investigator for an insurance company. I'd like to talk to you about that accident the other night. Uh, that Lincoln with a man and his wife? Yeah, the Lockhart. Oh, that was a mess. We should get him on this highway. Crazy fool drivers. Uh, he was quite a big shot, I read. He was. What I want to find out about is the girl who reported the accident to you. I don't know anything about her. She busted in here all excited and told me about it, and then she left. Never saw her before, and I haven't seen her since. What exactly did she say? Do you remember? Uh, what, what do you mean? I'd like to learn her exact words, if you remember them. What's so important about her? We're looking for her. I'll explain it to you. But do you remember what she said? Uh, well, uh, not her exact words, maybe. She told me about the accident. She said there were two people in the car, and she said one of them was dead, but she thought one was still alive. Can you be sure that she didn't say, I think the man is still alive, or I think the woman is still alive? No, I don't think she said that. Did she say there were two people in the car, or a man and a woman? Yeah, I'm not sure. I didn't think anything about that. All I was thinking was calling the police. As a matter of fact, uh, I was asleep. She woke me up, shaking me and talking about it. It took you a couple of seconds to come to your senses then, I suppose, huh? Yeah, yeah, I guess so. Uh, she left and I called the police. But it's just possible that she might have mentioned the man or the woman still being alive. Well, yeah, maybe before I was awake. I... Well, I don't get it. Well, what difference does it make? It makes a $200,000 difference to one of two people, Mr. Gallagher. What are you giving me? You carry life insurance, don't you? Yeah, all I can afford. Well, the Lockharts each had a policy naming each other as first beneficiary. But each of them named a different second beneficiary. Oh, oh, yeah, I'm beginning to see. Mrs. Lockhart had named a son by a former marriage. So if she survived her husband in that crash, even for a minute or so... She became his beneficiary for that length of time. If that was the case, her son is in line for the money from both policies. If she died first, it's the other way around, and her daughter by Lockhart is in line. Oh, I didn't think they cut it that fine. You can see how important it is for you to remember exactly what this girl said. Well, knowing isn't going to make it any easier, to be sure. I'm not sure, that's all. What did this girl look like? Well, I'll give you a little more help there. She, uh, she had blue eyes, and it seemed to me she was wearing an awful lot of makeup. You know, it was really plastered on. You couldn't really see her skin. Like stage makeup? What about eyelashes? Were they false? Yeah, yeah, they were. Now that you mention it, they were too long to be real. What else? Uh, well, she, uh, she had a scarf over her hair, but I'm pretty sure it was blonde. And uh, that's about all. She's wearing a coat. Oh, and I noticed when she left, she was barrel-legged and wearing white shoes with high heels. Her legs were tanned, so maybe she lives on the beach around here someplace. Could that have been makeup on her legs, too? I don't know. Maybe it was. What about her car? What kind was it? What color? I didn't see it. Didn't see it? No, she parked there by the side of the building where you did. Uh, when I was on the phone, she pulled out and headed toward L.A. It sounded like about a Chevy or a Plymouth, something about that size. Yeah. Well, thanks, Mr. Gallagher. If you think of anything more, I wish you'd call me. I'm at the Homeby Hotel on Wilshire. I'll leave my card. I drove up to the scene of the crash about two miles farther north. The Lockhards couldn't have picked a better spot. There was an almost sheer drop of more than 20 feet to some big rocks just above the beach. 
The rocks still showed the marks of the impact. At the sheriff's station on the way back into Los Angeles, I saw their photographs and heard their theory. The car hadn't been forced off the road. The tire marks it left made it appear that either the driver had fallen asleep or that the crash had not been accidental. The next morning, I was summoned by Bruce Yule to the Lockhart address. I found it at the end of one of the elite roads in L.A.'s prize subdivision, Bel Air. It was guarded by an iron gate, and the mansion itself was evidently a replica of something Italian. I was told to wait for Mr. Yule in a domed entry hall. Well, thanks for coming out, Mr. Dollar. I uh, wouldn't have missed it for the world. Yes, it's uh, quite a place, isn't it? I wanted the children to meet you. Do you know about them? Only that they're half-sister and brother. Yes. Michael Adams stayed with his own father. Never has lived here. He arrived from Seattle last night. And this is the first time he's met his stepsister. That's Gail Lockhart. Yes. She's uh, 23 and he's 27. Well, uh, I wanted them to know we're doing everything we can to find this uh, perverse witness who's become so important. Why doesn't she reveal herself? I wish I knew. Well, uh, Oh, uh, this is Mr. Dollar, the insurance investigator who's come out to help us. Uh, Miss Gail Lockhart. How do you do? Miss Lockhart. And Mr. Michael Adams. Oh, hey, Mr. Dollar. Nice to meet you, Mr. Adams. You uh, both have my sympathy. Oh, I think Miss Lockhart deserves it more than I do. I'm no more than a stranger. I don't even remember my mother. She and my father divorced before I was two. Oh, stop it. Sorry. Mr. Yule, I don't have to stay, do I? May I go to my room? Why, yes, Gail, if you want to. I do. I can't talk about it anymore. I'm sorry, but I feel like I should explain my place in this. I know I don't belong. It's all right, Mr. Adams. Gail is terribly upset. She was in Santa Barbara with her parents that night. She was supposed to drive back with them. They'd been drinking heavily, and she begged them to stay over. And when her father refused to do that, she refused to ride with them. Mm, I didn't know she was with them. Well, you know how these situations are. She's full of self-incrimination. Can't help feeling she should have done more, like take the keys to the car, or even call the police, or something. Well, what are we going to do about this witness, Mr. Dollar? Maybe you can help us, Miss Adams. Do you ever read the personal column in the classified advertising section of your paper? Personal column? <laughs> Hardly ever. Have you any idea when the last time was? Oh, months back, anyway. I think we have to do better than that personal column, Mr. Yule. Spot a few small ads through the other pages. Have you contacted any but local papers? No, no, not yet. Just because that garage man told us her car headed for L.A. is no proof that she's here. She might have passed right on through. Yes, but a girl driving alone at that time of night... We have no reason to think that she was alone. Gallagher didn't see anybody else, but he didn't see the car either. There are people who just don't like to get involved in things like this, you know. Uh, yes, yes, that's true, isn't it? Uh, what would you say to posting a small reward? I think that would be a good idea. Not a reward for the information we want, because we'd get too many cranks who would say anything for money. Say, that's right, isn't it? I think we should offer the reward for any information that will lead us to the witness and print the description Gallagher gave us. Uh, that's a good idea. Sure is. But I'll go call my secretary and have her compose an ad and get it into as many evening editions in the county as possible. And San Bernardino and Riverside counties as well. Excuse me. Golly, this suspense is really something, isn't it? Yeah. Well, I know I don't deserve any of the money. Why, you could have knocked me over with a feather when I found out she had me in the policy. Oh, I suppose she always felt bad about the way she deserted my father and me and wanted to make it up, huh? That was probably it. But, man, 200,000 bucks. When I get that, I'll be sitting on top of the world. I wouldn't spend it yet if I were you. Oh, I know it's a toss-up, but sure would be justice, wouldn't it? With all she'll get anyway, Miss Lockhart doesn't need it like I do. Why, from the looks of this place, she probably wouldn't even miss it. Maybe you're right, Mr. Adams. She probably won't miss anything but her parents for quite a while. Uh, sorry. Can't seem to say the right thing around here. Practical Mr. Adams had to wait along with the rest of us. The second day, the reward was increased. It was increased the third and the fourth day until it stood at $1,000. There it stayed for fear somebody was sitting on the information and watching the price of it go up. A few newspaper and radio reporters played it up on the mystery woman angle, but the actual $200,000 question we wanted to ask her was never let out. 
We had some worthless reaction, but on the seventh day, we got what we figured was our first break. An apartment house manager phoned Bruce Yule, and I went out to talk to her. Well, it's not me alone, Mr. Dollar. A few of my tenants have mentioned it, too. We're all curious about this mystery woman, you know. Uh-huh. Well, this is Tuesday, and that awful accident happened a week ago Sunday, didn't it? That's right, Mrs. Brewer. To be exact, about two Monday morning. Well, at 10 o'clock that morning, one of the girls who'd been living here left with almost a whole month's rent to live out, Susan Lee. Oh, would you say she fit the description in the papers? Now, that's why I decided to call. We'd share the reward, but I'd do the talking. Because, especially the theatrical makeup that was mentioned. Susan was a dancer in the naughty 90s nightclub on Santa Monica Boulevard. A specialty dancer, as she put it. Did she own a car? Uh, that was another thing. The ad mentioned a Chevy or a Plymouth. She had a Plymouth. It's very interesting, Mrs. Brugger. Did she say where she was going? Well, she said she'd found a better job in another town, but when I asked her where, she changed the subject. She was hiding something. Made no arrangements for mail? Well, I asked her about that, too, and she said she'd come back and pick it up as soon as she could. I think she was in trouble. Has any mail come? Well, nothing much. A couple of bills. This one today. Former photographer. A photographer. That might really help. Why, yes, yes, he must have taken a picture. Let's see the return address. Oh, wait till I tell the girls. Oh, I hope it's her. Well, I never even knew anybody who ever won a reward before. It was her. As a matter of fact, things developed quite nicely for the next hour and a half anyway. At the garage, Gallagher positively identified the girl in the print I took him from the photographer. So at that point, that's what we had, a picture and the name of our witness. The rest of it wasn't so good. It looked like she'd taken a sudden run out for reasons and places unknown. With a seven-day start, she could have reached almost any place in the world. For refreshment while you work, for enjoyment anytime, chew a stick of Wrigley's Spearmint Gum. When your mouth feels dry, when you're warm or tired, Wrigley's Spearmint is really refreshing. A lively, full-bodied, real mint flavor cools your mouth, moistens your throat, freshens your taste. And the chewing itself gives you a little lift. Helps you feel your best and do your best. So for chewing enjoyment plus pleasant refreshment, chew delicious Wrigley's Spearmint Gum. And now with our star, Edmund O'Brien, we bring you the second act of yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Doesn't help us very much, does it? No, not yet, Mr. Yule, but it's more than we've had. One thing I'd like to suggest. Yes? I think we should leave the reward ads running just as they are. Oh, uh, you don't think we should get right to the point and add her name and photo to the information? No, not right now. She's running away from something. We might drive her farther if we did that. I think we should go on as if we haven't learned anything. Oh, yes, yes, I suppose you're right. In the meantime, I'll see what I can dig up. Santa Monica Boulevard Club, where Susan Lee had worked, was open but almost empty at three that afternoon when I went in. Just the bar was in operation, but a series of larger-than-life-sized posters on the wall promised entertainment nightly by outstanding personalities of the dance. I found the manager in his office. What was the name again? Dollar. The bartender told me where I might find you, Mr. Cobley. I'd like to talk to you about a girl named Susan Lee. Well, what about her? Uh, come on in. Come on. I can spare a few minutes. Thanks. You, uh, you a cop of some kind? Private one? Why? You expecting some? No, not especially. Except the way Susan dropped out of sight all of a sudden, and the way you come in asking about her. What's up, anyway? I was hoping you could tell me. I'm working for an insurance company. All I want with this Lee girl is a statement about an automobile accident she witnessed. Hmm. Oh, hey. Is this what's been running in all the papers? Yeah. We've been trying to find it for a week. And it's Susan? That's right. <laughs> what a dope that makes me. And a lot of other people around here. Uh, are you sure? A guy identified a picture. Why didn't I think of that? You know why? Because the papers gave the idea that this dame was coming to Los Angeles from some town up the coast. That's all we know, that she was driving south. How could Susan be driving any place up there at two in the morning? Her last show here was a quarter of one. I'm more interested in knowing where she is now. I take it you don't know. 
No, no. Her contract had another week to run, but she called me one morning a week or so ago and said she was sick and could she quit. Is that a Monday morning? Well, I can find... Yeah, yeah, sure it was. She called me at home. We're closed on Mondays. Hey, I think I got something for you. What? Well, uh, one of the other girls picked up a pay for her. She wanted to quit, she told me, and I don't make any trouble with the girls who want to leave. And then she wanted Lamine to pick up her check. Well, I said that'd be okay if she sent a note authorizing it, and she did. This, uh... What did you say? I mean? Well, yeah, that's a stage name. You know, these girls get those monikers legalized when they're too young to know any better, and then they're stuck with them. Uh, Lamine Dunn. <laughs> you can tell before you see her that she's brunette and specializes in tassels. Would you mind giving me her address? Uh, no, no, I've got it right over here. Susan must have some hot dough to be worth a $1,000 reward. I wish I could tell you, but I can. It's worth plenty. No, I wasn't pushing for information. Uh, yeah, here it is. Uh, the Wesley on Wilcox. Good. Thanks very much. Oh, sure, sure. I don't care what you don't tell me, but anybody could use a hunk of that reward these days. I'll remember what you've done, Mr. Cobley. We'll see what we can work out. Thanks again. Sure. Uh, are you Miss Dunn? Yeah. I suppose you've read the papers like everyone else. I'm the insurance investigator who's looking for that girl. She turns out to be Susan Lee. Oh, well, come on in. What have I been sitting on, anyway? You know what we want her for. Because she saw that wreck. But don't you know what could have happened that made her leave town like she did? No, don't you? Well, I know there was... Look, I'm going to sound like a pretty lousy sort of friend, I suppose, but I only met her when she booked into the club. We happened to get along, that's all. I don't think that's the kind of friendship where you find that greater love hath no man stuff. Besides, she didn't trust me enough to tell me everything. Everything about what? Why don't you sit down? Thanks. I promised her I wouldn't say anything, and I haven't. But now you want to know, and I'm not going to lie about something I don't know. That makes sense to me. Something happened to her that night, and I think it was over that guy she married. You'll have to remember that I don't know anything about her. Oh, yeah, well, she married this guy. I never met him. His name's Robert, she told me. They ran off a couple of months ago, got one of those quick Mexican jobs. You don't know where this Roberts came from or lives. All I know is it must have been a dandy marriage. She still lived in her apartment, and maybe once or twice a week she'd leave after the last show and run up the coast and meet him. She said he traveled a lot. I believed it, but not the way she meant it. She sounds a little naive for her profession. No, she isn't. Uh, wasn't. I guess everybody really takes a fall sooner or later. But she came here that night, or morning, I guess it was 3.30. She still had her stage makeup on. She said something happened. She had to get out of town. That's all she'd say. She mentioned seeing the accident? No, just kept on saying something happened. Something awful happened. She had to leave town. Could she have caused that accident? The police say no other car was involved. Oh, then it must have been that husband. You know his full name? Yeah, it was Phil. I heard her say that. Philip Roberts. It's probably a common name, but we'll get on it. You talked to her the next day, you know, about her paycheck? Yeah, she phoned me, and she told Mr. Cobley she was sick because she didn't want him to ask questions about why she was leaving. So I went down and got her check. I met her in a drive-in joint on Santa Monica. And the same thing and making me promise not to tell anybody. Do you have any idea where she might have gone? Yeah, I have. Where? Once a week, every Sunday, Susan used to get flowers. She used to say they were from some masher in San Diego. She'd tear up the card and let the flowers dry up on her dressing table. Bouquet came that Sunday night and she didn't even unwrap it. It was one of those what's-the-future nights for me. I was figuring how many years I had left in the racket, wondering what had made me go wrong with the way I spent all the time I'd been in it. Well, I was real gone. When Susan left, I took her flowers and brought them home, and I read the card. It said, as usual, if you ever need me. That's where she's gone. Do you know, or are you guessing? Both, I guess. I met one like that when I was Susan's age. That's where I should have gone. Maybe she did. I still got the card with the name of the florist on it. San Diego is some 120 miles from Los Angeles. But when I opened the phone book and saw how many Philip Roberts there were to be checked, the trip seemed short. 
I didn't get there in time that night, but the next morning I located the florist. He had no trouble remembering the man who so faithfully sent flowers on Sunday. At noon that day, I found Robert's house, and I recognized the girl who opened the door to me. Yes? Susan Lee? No, no, she isn't here. Wait a minute, wait a minute. No, leave me alone. Go away. Get, get your foot out. I didn't know. I didn't have anything to do with it. I didn't know. Let me in, Miss Lee. You don't have to be afraid. All I want to ask you about is the accident you saw last Sunday night. No, you're lying. Let me in. You're lying. I read about your reward in the papers. You tried to trick me. How did you find me? I had to find you. I didn't do it. I didn't have anything to do with it, no matter what she says. You're saying things you don't have to say, Miss Lee. No, I'm not, because everything else you've heard is a lie. What lies have I heard? Who lied to me? I don't know. Don't you think I've spent all night long every night hearing what she said to you? But I believed him. I believed everything he told me. Philip Roberts? That's not his name. I know it isn't now, but I married him. You think I would have married him if I'd known that he was already married? I guess you'd better tell me about it, Miss Lee. I thought I was married to him. We went to Ensenada. Some man married us down there. It was in May. And I thought he was my husband all the time. I was going to quit dancing and we were going to go away. And then Sunday night, I heard them. You were north of Malibu Sunday night? Yes, he rented the cabin for us. But when I got there Sunday night, there was another car. I left my car and walked to the cabin, and then I heard them. She called herself his wife, and she used a different name. She called him Carl. I don't know why I listened. I wanted to run. But I stayed and listened to them argue. And found out that I wasn't married to him at all because she was his wife. You don't have to tell me this. Yes, I do. You have to know the truth. I heard her say she'd kill him. And then I left and started to walk toward the highway. And I'd gotten almost to it when I heard the shots. I wasn't near the cabin. I was almost to my car. Miss Lee. When I heard them, oh, I thought I was running away because she'd shot him over me. Where is this cabin? It's about three. You know where it is. You've been there. You found him. As far as I know, no one has been there. I haven't heard anything about a shooting north of Malibu. You're lying. No, I'm not. But we'll have to phone the police to check the story. You're lying. You're still trying to trick me, but you can't. Stop it. You're lying because you believed her. Let go of me. Let go. I didn't do it. I was running away. It took some time to digest it. I called the police and saw Susan Lee on her way back to Los Angeles with them and then called Bruce Yule. By the time I had driven back, he'd spent a half hour with the girl and gotten the report of the police who visited the cabin. I was called to the lockout home for the second and last time, and together with the two prospective beneficiaries, I heard what the lawyer had to say. Oh, it's a pathetic story. This man entered a bigamous marriage contract with Susan Lee. His first wife followed him to the cabin. She didn't know about the marriage, but she suspected something. At the height of the argument, she shot him and then turned the gun upon herself. Miss Lee was afraid to surrender as our witness. They're both dead? Well, I'll uh, be... Yes, but actually that's none of our concern now. This tortured girl did witness the accident. And in spite of her own problems, stopped to give what aid she could. Which, of course, was none. <laughs> did you get a statement from her, Mr. Yule? Yes, I'm afraid I did. Before a notary public, Susan Lee swore that the person who was alive at the time she viewed the wreck was Mrs. Lockhart. I knew it! Hot dog! Shut up! Make him stop. <laughs> Get him out of here. I can't stand it. Here, here, I'll get here. Let me take it to you. It's, it's really true? Yeah, I guess it is, if you'll say so. Man, $200,000, and for what? For being born to the right mother. That's what I call profit on a small investment. Yeah, I guess that's right. 200000 Why, I bet I can invest that and live like a gentleman the way I've always wanted to. I wonder how much this house costs. Nothing like this in Seattle, but I might show them a thing or two. <laughs> Expense account item two, $356.50 miscellaneous in Los Angeles. Item three, $218.45 transportation back to Hartford. Expense account total, $583.85. Remarks, as far as I'm concerned, the money went to the wrong beneficiary. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar.
Remember, friends, for refreshment while you work, for enjoyment anytime, chew a stick of Wrigley's Spearmint Gum. There's lots of lively real mint flavor in it to cool your mouth, freshen your taste, and sweeten your breath. And chewing Wrigley's Spearmint helps keep you fresh and alert. You feel better, work better, get more fun out of doing things. So indoors, outdoors, at work or play, always keep delicious Wrigley Spearmint Chewing Gum handy. For refreshment while you work, for enjoyment anytime, chew a stick of Wrigley Spearmint Gum. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar, brought to you by Wrigley Spearmint Gum, stars Edmund O'Brien in the title role and is written by Gil Dowd with music by Eddie Dunstetter. Edmund O'Brien can soon be seen starring in the Paramount Pictures production, Warpath. Featured in tonight's cast were Howard McNear, High Averbeck, Barbara Whiting, David Young, Virginia Gregg, Eddie Marr, and Mary Jane Croft. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar is transcribed in Hollywood by Jaime Del Valle. The makers of- Thanks for joining us for 1001 Radio Crime Solvers with more great shows from the golden age of radio. We bring new episodes every Sunday at noon and Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time. So until the next time, everyone, stay safe, and we'll be back soon.